The Koi Gig Pod on Off The Ball. Denise was the person who stepped up again, you know, we, it was all about Katie and Tala. She's not the only superstar on the team, we still have Denise and Denise proved that again. Subscribe to The Koi Gig Pod on the Off The Ball app now. The F1 Pod on Off The Ball with Chicago Town Pizza. Formula One? Yeah, we go to town on it. You are very welcome along to the F1 pod here on Off The Ball. It's episode 17. Shane Haddon here with you for the next little while. And I'm not coming to you from my bedroom or an attic. It's the studio this week. We've moved up in the world, big time. It's episode 17, as we said. You'll get the F1 pod live on Wednesdays after race weekends in the F1 pod podcast feed and the Off The Ball Daily podcast feed as well, wherever you get your podcasts for free. And the F1 pod and Off The Ball is brought to you by Chicago Town Pizza. Real takeout taste for less with Chicago Town. We're looking back on the Brazilian Grand Prix at Interlagos and, of course, ahead to the Las Vegas Grand Prix as well. Delighted to welcome for this episode, Bernie Collins, familiar face to all the F1 pod fans, former head of race strategy for the Aston Martin Formula 1 team and a big welcome as well to Blake Hinsey, former F1 performance engineer who has worked with Red Bull Racing and also co-host of the Engine Breaking Podcast. Bernie and Blake, how are things? Good, thank you. How are you? Keeping well. Blake, welcome. Good to, good to, good to be here, man. I'm a, I'm a little bit tired after the triple header, but uh, I'm sure everybody else is as well. Oh, big time. Big time. The, the, the only thing was, I think, Bernie, you made this point as well that uh, the 10 o'clock... Was it 10 o'clock Irish time to start for the race? So, I mean, it, it works out nicely in some ways for us. We can still have our Sundays. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. For those of us not doing all the analysis like Bake does, it's perfect <laughs> because I can sit down, my Sunday's done, fire's on, relax and watch the F1. So, yeah, I think the, the afternoon time, which I hate saying out to others because I know that in many parts of the world, the F1's always at a terrible time. So... <laughs> Yeah, all, all the all the Kiwis are out there very angry with you. But you were <laughs> you were busy during the race. I saw your Twitter feed had lots of really interesting insight, and I didn't realize you were tweeting your thoughts throughout the race because otherwise I would have had that up on my side <laughs> screen as well to to keep me a little bit better in the loop on the uh, the interesting strategic aspects of the race. Yeah, hundred percent. It's a, it's a it's a minefield out there when you're trying to life sweet a race and there's so much happening across the grid at different points in time. It's 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 almost impossible. But Blake, you, you might tell us um, a little bit of your own background. For people unfamiliar, I mean, a lot of F1 fans will be familiar with your work. Um, but maybe talk to us about your background and, and what you've done and your work with Red Bull and that sort of thing. Yeah, so just like um, my my accent's all destroyed after being in the UK for twelve years, but I'm I'm from Dallas, Texas. I moved to the UK when I was twenty five to get a motorsport master's degree. At some some series of events, I decided uh, I wanted to be a Formula One engineer. So I head down that path single-mindedly, and somehow I landed a job at uh, Force India at the time after my master's degree. Um, Bernie worked for that team a couple of years after I left it, or probably we we swapped years after when I went to Red Bull. You were in as strategy at Force India, weren't you? I think we might have lost Bernie, but anyway, <laughs> she didn't want to think that one. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I was, I uh, spent a couple of years at Force India as a trackside performance engineer to Duresta and Perez. Uh, and then later I took a job opportunity came up to be performance engineer at Red Bull Racing for Sebastian Vettel. So I was like, I'd love to apply for that job and take that job. And sure enough, I got offered the job and then Sebastian left to go to Ferrari. Um, and then I worked as at Red Bull's a trackside performance engineer. Uh, on Daniel Kvyat's car and then Max Verstappen's car through the start of 2018. And then I spit, I, I kind of wanted to shift gears and focus not on trackside operations, but more on longer term development. So I spent my final four years through 2021 with Red Bull as a simulator 
a senior simulator performance engineer focusing on tools, methods, analysis, visualization, and getting more use out of simulation tools, track data, and simulator data to, to make the car go faster on a weekly basis, monthly basis, and then, you know, developing future projects. So that's kind of it. And now I'm a analytical content creator focusing on Formula One analysis and uh, getting opportunities to hang out and chat with uh, people like you about the beautiful, mm-hmm. nuanced, interesting, technical world of Formula One. What, what's your main target audience, Blake, I guess? And the thing about both yourself and Bernie's work, it's amazing in that you make the most complicated numbers and tyre degradation and all these complicated things seem much easier to understand and comprehend for the for the F1, for the normal F1 fan, I guess. Yeah. Is, that the, that's the, is that the ambition, I guess? Absolutely. I think I think that's the thing. Bernie Bernie does extremely well and I'm I'm learning as well as like us engineers, we're only used to talking to people who are, you know, often very high level about technical topics. So the, the shorthand and the, the, the nuance that we leave out of these discussions. But when you go to so my goal is to bring new people on board. So you could be a novice. You could have started watching Formula One last year. And I'm like come into this conversation with us if if you you know if your entry point is here on the basics good let's answer the basic questions there are no stupid questions because the more that we get the formula one fan base interested in the technical topics the conversations that we we can have with the wider audience in the longer term become much more interesting and technical and help to highlight the how technical and fascinating the sport really is it it is a sport Yes, but it's also lots of engineering, which is stuff that myself, Bernie, and all the other engineers are passionate about. And hopefully we're finding um, the fans are becoming a lot more interested in this as well. It's an interesting one as well, Bernie, isn't it? Because uh, like I mentioned, Blake has done work with Red Bull and yourself, even with Aston Martin as well and other teams. Is, Is there competition on the grid between engineers and that? Because I guess you probably have friends on other teams, but there's also the the danger of, of too much information being shared. Yeah, I think it's a very odd situation because you travel together, you'll get on the same flight on a Wednesday from London to wherever you're going in the world, you get on the same flight black on a Sunday, you know, a lot of the engineers travel at the same time. So it's a bit like that situation they talk about, you know, when the driver puts the visor down, he's not interested on who his friend is in the grid. It's the same with the engineers. When you're in the paddock, you're very focused on what your car is trying to do, how well you're trying to do, getting the most out of your car, you know, you you will you are trying to get the better of another team or another group of engineers or win the race. But then outside of that, you spend so much time together. It might be in a restaurant. It might be in a pub. Lots of people move teams. So you might spend three or four years at one team, then move to another team. So naturally, you end up with friends and other teams as well. And you'll have a chat in the paddock outside of the sessions and things. So you have to be helpful to other people because you spend so much time on the road together. And it is quite nice to have this sort of travel and circus family type environment um but you're still trying to win on race day so it's really interesting dynamic of trying to you know when you're out on a saturday night you're not the worried that often on a saturday night when we're away but trying not to say too much um without giving the game away or on a sunday morning trying not to give away like your start tire for example but still have a friendly conversation about it <laughs> we, we yeah, get, i think yeah go on blake sorry no i think that's really interesting because you can you can there's lots of stuff that you can talk about without spilling the beans, you know, because you can share those threads. Like, what are you guys struggling with this weekend? And you, there's maybe there's certain things that aren't too topical. It's like the car balance is just terrible this weekend. You know, we're a bit, bit struggling. It's not like you've exposed yourself. 
like everybody else can see that weakness if it's already manifest itself in your free practice time. So it's like, yeah, well, you know, and then maybe Sunday after that, you might have a chat like, yeah, that was pretty bad. Or let's <laughs> say that, say that an, another team's driver has taken your driver out. It's not like you're going out on Sunday night and you're upset with the other engineers on the other teams. It's like, that was kind of crap, wasn't it? It's like, yeah, yeah, it happens. And that's it. And people, people look at the internet as the kind of fans and that kind of thing. But it's, it's not like that in the paddock. We, we, like Bernie said, people have changed teams two to three times. Probably you've got, you've got mates everywhere and it's life is way too short and the season is way too long to uh, not be pleasant with people in the paddock. Yes, you're those, are your, those are your friends out there. <laughs> you're telling me there's no, there are no NDAs. Like we were even on last week's episode, like I talked to them, you know, Mike Elliott leaving Mercedes, for example. Like there's a brain drain here when people like that leave. Sure. Yeah, you get it a lot, actually. You know, one of the things that I think people maybe outside don't realize is when a lot of people like that leave, they'll have quite a long, what we call gardening leave, where they're not allowed to go to another team or they're not allowed to work with another team. And, it, you know, for the majority of engineers, that's something in the region of six months where you're maybe not working on the current car, but not allowed to work on another team's car. And that does really, that is part of the trying to not have at least the information in your head as current as it might be if you just move roles immediately like you would somewhere else. Mm. I might, I might get to the uh, Brazilian Grand Prix in the second half of, of today's episode, guys. But there's there's a few talking <laughs> points, even from like just to get to with the two of you. I mean, from from your own social media, Blake, and this is a point that probably the two of you have, have uh, crossed as well is too many races. Um, and you know, when you're when you are both trying to gather data and prepare for a race in terms of research and that sort of thing, and even digest what information you've got during a race thereafter. I mean, Blake, it must be quite difficult. There's there's just so much action at the moment. Yeah, and I think a lot of that comes down to it's always a trade-off, and, and Bernie can attest to this as well. It's it's the idea of doing a good job understanding what happened, A, and then B, doing a better job than you did last week, which typically includes developing tools, methodology. Um, if there's a new problem to solve, automating that process as much as possible so that you have the least active, you know, mental power to process that. So that's that's a huge thing is honestly like the frequency of these events and yeah, there's, there's so many paths you can go down, but for, for, for engineers, for, you know, people like doing what Bernie's doing now, I'm sure doing lots of like presenting work, going out to the races is still also equally tired, tiring. Cause it's nonstop. Uh, even not doing it every single race I find is I'm a, I'm a bit the day sometimes, <laughs> but it, it is what it is. The sport's growing massively and, uh, teams and everything will get to a point where people are stretched a bit and then they're forced to adapt and come up with new processes that make it sustainable. Yeah, it's a tough one. Even Bernie, when you're when you're there at a track and you're trying to process everything that's happened, because even on television, it's tough for the TV directors, I'd imagine at different times to, to catch everything because you, you end up missing some overtakes and you see it, you know, as, a, as an action replay and then action coming out of the pit lanes. But I guess they can't get to everything immediately and, and you're trying to process all this information in real time. Yeah, I think it is. And I think, you know, I don't know, for example, I guess you're alluding to maybe, I, I can't remember, it was come out of the pit and Alonso came out of the pit and maybe and it was quite close to two other cars and it mm. wasn't caught on TV first time round, and it was a bit, um, but I don't know how much they rotate in terms of the directors doing that sort of situation or doing the clipping and stuff. But these guys have probably been working for three weeks on the road. So you are going to naturally miss things unless your procedure is totally bulletproof, which, you know, it never is. It, it's always about people catching up what they think is important in the race. 
Um, and, you know, there is the team. Some of the teams are definitely trying to make inroads to that. So I know some of the teams are starting to rotate some of their mechanics, definitely. There's a lot of teams talking about rotating some of their engineers, which is really interesting because I think Verstappen came out this week and said, or I heard in a podcast somewhere saying he thought it was really important not to rotate his engineers because you work so closely together. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see going forward as we add more races, how teams adapt to that. And I think, you know, from the people I've spoke to, one of the biggest problems is how they adapt to that within the resource restriction. So they're obviously limited on the amount of money that they can spend. So they can't just have two people for one job or three people for two jobs, whatever it is, within the budget cap. So I think the budget cap is going to have to be adjusted to allow for this sort of well-being of the people, such that that's not the bit that gets squeezed relative to you know, not producing another front wing or whatever the case may be. Mm. Another thing that, uh, sorry, go on, Blake. No, absolutely nail on the head with that. The, the cost cap is something that has all the right intentions, but I think lo and behold, as you're adding workload and capacity, certain, you know, people are going to start burning out from that because it, it is nonstop. The mechanics definitely are huge, but Bernie's point about the engineers, that's a really tricky one because a lot of drivers those relationships are super important to have those weekend weighing out. But now that there's 24 ish races, I think you can build that team up. We'll, we'll see that happen hopefully in the next couple of years. Cause otherwise it's going to be a lot of people. It's like, right. Uh, world endurance championship, eight rounds and a little bit of sports car on the side. Great. <laughs> much, much more sustainable. The, the sprint format is another, um, I guess, issue that crops up week to week, Blake, as well. We've got we've got Bernie's views on it different times as well, but I might ask you both on this one. Like, uh, the word this week, Formula One is in talks with teams to implement the, the sprint format for the 2024 season, talk of the two qualifying sessions, swapping places. What's your current take on, on it, Blake? Is it, is it what fans want? Uh, I, have to, I have to be very careful when I answer that question because I appreciate that my point of view is not that of the fans. So I have to be very clear that I'm like, I don't put myself in their position because I, I look at everything through not a better lens, just a different lens. So, you know, I have to be not put words in people's mouths, but as a spectator at the circuit, I think the sprint is interesting because you have a decisive session every day. So it gives a little bit more value, but at the same time, a lot of the fans at the track are just happy to be seeing the formula one cars going around. Cause it's not like, you know, the timings or anything else while you're on the track, unless you've got, you know, phone signal and you're watching the timing mm. or you're sitting, you happen to be sat next to a television. So I just, the more, the more we have it, I just, I personally feel burned out by it. Cause it's like two very similar qualifying sessions. You have a sprint race, which basically shows you what's going to happen in the main event. So it's, I wasn't too surprised to see Mercedes struggling this weekend because the sprint race was an absolute disaster for them. They were down horrendously. And then lo and behold, what happened in the race? So yeah. it, it was one of those things. It's you wouldn't I don't know if you're gonna have Philip Mignon every night, are you? <laughs> Possibly not. I, I'm not because I can't afford it. A and, <laughs> and, and and probably after that, I wouldn't enjoy it that much after that. So I think it's a balance. My personal preference is too many events, too many sprints. It just really dilutes the product and excitement for me. The problem, Bernie, isn't it? I guess it's the lack of predict or the, or sorry, the predictability. So when you see Max Verstappen pull away in a sprint race, you know that's probably going to happen at the same circuit, you know, the following day or whatever in, in the race. And all, like, is a reverse grid, 
the, the option here? Is that a is that a solution? I really can't get my head around the idea that a reverse grid is going to work. Definitely not based on qualifying because teams will just start to find ways around that. Maybe based on championship position, potentially, but then you're not going to have the qualifying session in the morning. You're going to be still back to a practice session for one of them. Um, I sort of think that you watch, you know, I watch qualifying on Friday when it's sprint weekend where I maybe wouldn't always watch FP2, for example. So you're definitely getting people into the Friday where they might not otherwise be into the Friday. You know, my my opinion, and again, standalone, not what police is saying and, and not what I think the fans are saying, but if we want to do 24, 25, whatever the events are, we should really consider two-day weekends. Mm. We should really consider one practice session, one qualifying, one race. And that, I think, is a way of doing more weekends, um, still not giving away the race result, still having a competitive session each day. Yes, you've got one last day at the track, but, you know, I don't know if that's really going to kill anyone. So it's, it's interesting. Well, to, to jump in there a little bit, another thing that I think a benefit of the sprint weekend is the jeopardy that it introduces because you have a lack of preparation. And what you've proposed is you maintain some of that jeopardy by having reduced practice, like a more compact weekend, and you still have a, a, th a thrilling event that is possibly more sustainable. But I guess the only counterpoint to that is if they can't sell tickets for Friday, because the F1 event's not there, I mean, money talks, and that's going to hurt people's bottom lines until they see otherwise, which, yeah, no, but like, that sounds very enticing, especially because I, I do, like, as an engineer, when the, when the Sprint Weekend came along, I was like, this can't be a thing. <laughs> you, you, you get one session, but, but at the end of the day, that, that tends to reward teams that have a higher hit rate on their tools, like their wind tunnels, CFD, and everything else. Uh, they have to have a very good driver-in-the-loop simulator program because you have to show up at the track and free practice one with very few question marks over your setup, the operating window, and the conditions that you're going to encounter. So is, is that uh, a meritocracy? I think so. Mm. But it also introduces some jeopardy because there's too much chaos in Formula 1. As much as you know, especially in strategy, the uncertainty band around certain things is very high. And that's what makes it interesting and puts you on the hot seat quite often, doesn't it? That That's the interesting one. Like, Bernie, is that is that a point as well that the Blake has made? Like, even the wind tunnel time, like, presumably, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, like, a lot of the, the teams with less money, the teams towards the bottom of the grid would potentially get more time in the wind tunnels at times. And that's maybe why sometimes in the sprint races we see a more condensed field and, and maybe a surprise podium or a surprise win? Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, we ha F1 has adjusted the rules, the technical regulations this year um, in order to allow this sort of fallen band of aero time based on championship position as a reset during the year. So there are definitely efforts being made in order to allow the teams at the back more wind tunnel time, whatever it might be. Is it enough? We haven't seen the full result of that yet. We've not seen if by next year, you know, a more even grid because of this switch in wind tunnel time. So it's not the direct feedback that you have of, let's say, a balance of performance in other series where you get extra mass or extra ballast for the next weekend. It slows the car down immediately. Mm. So there's, there's more to come, I think. And we sort of need to let that play out naturally. You know, we've, we had new regulations, what, two years ago. So, Naturally, the rules are going to, you know, the cars are going to converge towards the end of that rule series. So year on year, before we get to 2026, when we've got the new engines, the cars will converge in performance. That's just natural because Red Bull 
development will be limited because the car is so good anyway, and the others at the back will have so you know have so much more to find. So it will converge, and it's just how long it takes that process to happen. Uh, I don't want this to become an episode of uh, things that grind our gears Sorry. about the sport. No, we know you're you're, uh, uh, but I'm about to ask another one here, so <laughs> I'm adding to the situation. Um, but the. The corner names as well, Blake, this is more of a fun one, but when you see the list, certainly it comes up in Interlagos every year, but uh, also when we see Las Vegas coming up in a couple of weeks, uh, and I think you pointed it out on, on Twitter as well, or X or whatever it's called, uh, you know, you have the Bellagio Fountain Corner and, and or the Strait and whatever else, and but Top Golf, for example, is, is the name <laughs> of one of these these corners which you uh, rightly pointed out. I mean, it, it is ridiculous. You'd imagine on commentary it won't exactly be referred to as that, but what is your take on F1 corner names? I think that's another one of those things. Like I can't put my, I have to put myself like as an engineering point of view, most circuits, it's very concise and clear what corner numbers are. So when you're referring to something in telemetry and data, trying to have a conversation with another engineer or somebody in the pit wall, it needs to be turn six, turn nine. If it's a, if it's a, if it's Monza, everybody knows where Ascari is. If it's, if it's Silverstone, everybody knows where cops, maggots and Beckett's are fine. But it was like when you start getting to, I don't know any corner names at Circuit of the Americas. I should know, but don't know many of the corner names around places we don't go that often, like Portimao, um, China. No idea. But I'm, I mean, if anybody's, if 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 Crofty's on TV talking about Top Golf turn seventeen, I'm gonna lose it, man. I'm gonna absolutely lose it. So this this question came from me because an engineering point. We always use corner numbers. Everywhere we use corner numbers, it's really clear. The track map that comes out some corner numbers. The graphics on the TV at the start of the show are corner numbers. So I don't know the corner names in Brazil. So I'm watching the commentary and I just, I know the numbers, but I don't know the names. And it was just an interesting poll, I thought, to say, you know, what is it? And I was surprised that actually the feedback on my poll, which is, you know, biased, um, and not probably a good representation of everyone out there, was more people wanted numbers than names. Mm. So I think it is, especially if you're not watching the race week in, week out, you at least know that turn one, two, three are the start of the lap, turn 15, 16, 17 are towards the end of the lap. So you've got got some more idea than the names. So I think um, it's confusing. Engineers are very, you know, we we just want the numbers. We want exact (laughs) things. And it's easier to say on the radio and everything. So... It's true, yeah. Because some of the other ones I'm looking at here, <clears throat> Top Golf was the one <clears throat> pointed out, of course, by you, by you, Blake. But you've got like turn one and two is Harbour Island Apartments, which is the least glamorous <laughs> corner I think I've heard of. I mean, the MSG Spheres is obviously going to be a pretty, pretty unique one. But then number uh, corner twelve is the Fashion Show Mall, which love it. I mean, straight into Treasure Island and the Mirage and all the rest. <laughs> Treasure <laughs> Island, yar. <laughs> so it's it's interesting, but I, I think I'm with you. I think the uh, the F1 purists will. Stick to the numbers rather than the, the names. Guys, we'll take a very short ad break. <clears throat> We're going to be back with uh, some Brazil Interlagos review. Look ahead to Las Vegas as well. We have got Blake Henze on, uh, on with us for the first time and Bernie Collins as well. We'll be back on the F1 pod in episode 17 in just a second. Hello, Shane Hannon here, the host of the F1 pod on Off The Ball, which is available every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts. Before we get into the episode proper, however, I did want to take a quick moment to mention our sponsors of the F1 pod, Chicago Town Pizza. And sure, when you're watching the Grand Prix action across the weekend, why not enjoy it with a pepperoni Chicago Town stuffed crust pizza? It's takeaway taste at home. It's the F1 pod from Off The Ball with thanks to Chicago Town Takeaway's unique fresh dough pizza. Yeah, we go to town on it. Now, without further ado, the F1 pod. The F1 pod on Off The Ball with Chicago Town Pizza. Formula One 
Yeah, we go to town on it. Yes, indeed. You're very welcome back to episode 17 of the F1 Pod on Off The Ball. We're live with you on Wednesdays after race weekends in the F1 Pod podcast feed and the Off The Ball daily podcast feed as well, wherever you get your podcast. We've got Bernie Collins, the former head of race strategy for the Aston Martin Formula One team, and Blake Enzi as well, a former F1 performance engineer who's also co-host of the Engine Breaking podcast. Uh, keep your questions and comments coming into us every week as per usual. Uh, guys, it's, it's, I guess... Only right that we look back on Interlagos on the action itself. Max Verstappen leading Lando Norris all the way to claim his 17th victory out of 21 races. Not a bad record uh, this season at the uh, Brazilian Grand Prix. That moves him beyond Alain Prost's career record on 52 wins overall. Um, I guess, Bernie, business as usual up to the front, but all we want to talk about here is Fernando Alonso, isn't it? Yeah, I think, well, you say business as usual. A few outliers in mm. at say Mercedes and Ferrari I thought would do better. But yeah, business as usual in terms of, you know, Max running away with it, strong pace. Norris, I think, was a bit stronger than I maybe expected. I thought he was closer than, than what I'd maybe thought. But yeah, Alonso and the comeback, if, let's call it a comeback, <laughs> see where we get to for Aston Martin, pretty unexpected. They sort of clearly said a few races ago or indicated a few races ago that they were basically in a test session. They're fully in fifth in the championship. Not Don't think they're going to overtake McLaren. Not at risk of falling to sixth. So just need to figure out what's going wrong with the car. And then suddenly this week to be so strong, both drivers be so strong. Now helped, of course, by Q3. Mm-hmm. The Q3 in the wet conditions were, I was having a look earlier today, I think Piastri and Perez waited a minute into a session that there's clearly going to rain to come out of the garage seems a, a little bit odd um but yeah they were helped by their position on track got a good quality lap done good starting position and fit to hold on to it you know definitely had the pace alonso had a very very clever race um and did very well to hold on to perez who you know clearly had a faster car the thing blake was that he just kept so calm fernando alonso didn't he and it was it was a really a defensive masterclass He's he's another one of those drivers, like you heard Max talking about almost losing it on the track because he saw he was watching the TV with uh, Fernando and Checo battling. But Fernando's one of those drivers, and Bernie probably knows this better than I, a huge CPU, just the amount of information he's able to process. He was getting very creative with his driving lines in the final corner to maximize um, keeping distance ahead of Perez so that once Perez had the DRS on that very, very long DRS straight, that he would have a little bit more in his pocket to play with. And it was just, that was phenomenal. Uh, I, th- I thought that was, yeah, that was, a, I was, it was just like the whole thing. It was, it was 10, 15 laps of when's it going to happen? Is he going to go now? And then, yeah, I, I think Checo probably should have left it until the very last lap to make the move stick. But despite, as Bernie said, Checo clearly, I believe having more pace in hand, especially on the soft at the end of the race, Checo wasn't sure he could get it done. And so I don't think he left it to the very last lap. He said, I'll take the opportunity when I'm close enough. But that was that was really good to see. And honestly, I think Stroll would have done potentially slightly better. He did end up on the race restart, dropping back a little bit. But honestly, it's like when the car is happy for them, uh, Lance is a lot closer and he drove a really solid weekend. And like that Q3 lap going out early, the conditions are coming. I'm sure that probably frustrated you to no end seeing people sat in the garage. It's like, look outside. It's the, the apocalypse is happening now, you know. But um, you know, that, that's the kind of thing that counts. You may not be super consistent at it, but you know, Lance sticking it 
but P3 in that qualifying session, you get one chance to make it happen and made it happen. Fair play. Yeah, it feels like even in recent weeks, Bernie, on the podcast, we've we, like anytime we bring up Aston Martin or Fernando or Lance, it, it's uh, it feels like we're reading out the death notices because it's all been so depressing and and you know it's been really really a hard time from the last few weeks. Certainly, are Aston Martin back? It seems that way. Now, we, Vegas is going to be very hard to tell because it's going to be a very tricky track, and mm. we'll get into that in a minute, I'm sure. But you know, I think the opening came out and said at one point we've taken some of the upgrades back off the car, which is very telling because we were all asking, you know, is it that other people have improved so much and they've just stood still, but it actually seems like, you know, they have gone backwards by whatever they've added to the car is not working, not working with the car as a whole, or they can't get the setup right. Whatever the situation is there, they are actively or have been actively taking performance off the car. And now they're reverting on that because they do have these, you know, sort of free test sessions. So it's really interesting because that is not historically what I would have thought of them as a race team. They're very strong at, you know, most teams are very strong at deciding if a part is good or bad. And most drivers are very good at saying if a part is good or bad. So to have got themselves in that situation, something's, you know, clearly went a bit wrong there. Yeah. And the, the other flip side as well on, on all of this, Blake, is is for Checo Perez, like, are we looking at it from a positive slant? It was great to see the, the embrace between Perez and, and Alonso after the race and both all smiles. But for Perez, will it be, okay, he's back, he, 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 he had a brilliant weekend, or is it a case of, well, he probably should have caught that car because he's in a faster car? I think I think you got to put it in context. And the, the two things to say, going back to Mexico, he was within a tenth of and a half of Max in qualifying in Mexico. Yes, he did get outqualified by Daniel Ricardo and that Alpha Tauri, which was which was on something else. And we're thinking that weekend is Alpha Tauri back. Mm-hmm. No, not really. It was just one of those outlier circuits. And this weekend we're thinking, is Mercedes done? Is Aston Martin back? All these things, and they're very circumstantial. But to put Perez in context, he was within a tenth and a half of Max uh, in Mexico. Did had outstanding qualifying, pretty good qualifying here, and then a great race and. The Aston was hooked up this weekend. Yes, he had the faster car, but to think that, you know, if if he's got an interesting race with Alonso, one of the one of the craftiest dudes in the thing in a competitive car, mm. I'm not shaking my head at that. I was I thought that was a very good drive from from both of them. And, you know, he I don't think he was on Max's race pace at any point this weekend, but in terms of qualifying and being there. As, as the number two, it wasn't a disappointing weekend for him at all. I would have, if I was Checo, I'd have come off that weekend pretty pleased with myself. Uh, another man, Bernie, pretty pleased with himself after the weekend that we've already mentioned him is Lando Norris. And, and I'm just looking at his numbers. I mean, he's only 23, of course, so that puts it all, this all in perspective. His seventh podium of the season, sixth second place, fourth runner-up finish in the past uh, six races as well. Also taking pole, of course, in the sprint race uh, the weekend, second to Verstappen. Still looking for that that first win, but I mean he's he's also close, and I and I guess the numbers and those numbers, even just to get the fastest lap, which was I think a second faster than Max Verstappen as well, quite quite incredible. Yeah, I think, and he's got to be feeling really confident in that car. And the thing with that he needs now is probably a bit of patience. He needs to not push it too hard for the win. He needs to be getting those seconds, thirds, whatever on the board, and building confidence, building strength in the team, developing the car. You know, and the win will come. You can't finish consistently on the podium like he has and not get the win. So I think that it's about not 
you know, for example, it would have been easy maybe this week at the restart to go all out and try and get for stop on and be ahead and, you know, try and hold on to it and throw away the, the race results. So it is about just getting those consistent results in for a little while. The car will, you know, the car is coming to him. So you just need to, you know, let it wait and it, it will happen. And the, the thing about F1, you know, for many years in Aston Martin and a midfield team, it's not about doing an out there strategy to win. It's about always being in that position to pick it up. So any issue that Verstappen has, he needs to be in that P2 position to pick it up and be ready to pick it up. And that's, that's, that's an interesting point as well, looking at that final stint. I think you pointed this out quite well is, you know, they were like, why didn't they cover, for example, in the final stint? And that was one of those things like, don't just react, do the right thing. Because they're like, if there was a safety car, they had it. He had nothing to lose behind. And it was being having that awareness from the team's point of view to frame that for him. It's like, stick it out, man. We'll be good. If there's a safety car, we're laughing. Yeah. It's a fair point. Uh, the, the other um, the team that, because like, even before before the weekend, I was thinking, well, this could be a pretty decent weekend for Mercedes. And it shows what I know because you look at the, the results last season and you had, what was it, a 1 2 for, for Russell and Hamilton. But all of a sudden, Blake, I mean, th this was disastrous for Mercedes at the weekend. Yeah. I mean, they ended up putting, running one of the biggest rear wings and highest drag setups of the entire grid, which you would expect. You know, people always think, oh, downforce is only good for going faster in high-speed corners, but it's not. You know, if you find three kilometers an hour through a low-speed corner, that is more than than finding 10 kilometers an hour through that high-speed right-hander at turn six. And you look at qualifying in the race, you're like, okay, the car's a bit draggy. It's good in the high-speed. It's bang average in the low-speed. And then in the race, and the sprint race was very telling, and the Grand Prix was very telling, is they had all that drag on their car, and they could do absolutely nothing with it they were chewing through tires um they couldn't do anything with their stints and it was just that was a tough one because it is like you say i thought going into this weekend you know what yeah you'll tend to run a little bit more downforce here this weekend but mercedes had to throw the entire kitchen sink at it and it still was not able to produce any performance and it wasn't clear that it was imbalanced they seemed actually lost genuinely yeah, because it seems, uh, I don't know if it, it was just Bernie, them not reacting well to adversity, but you have Hamilton fifth on the grid, takes third from Alonso, then the red flag comes, um, standing restart, Alonso's team's past him, and then, I mean, once once he gets past them, I mean, it seems that just went from bad to worse for Hamilton, finishes in eighth overall, but it's just like they couldn't react to, to what was happening in front of them. Well, yeah, they couldn't react on, like Blake's alluding to, they just didn't have the pace. There was mm. The car pace wasn't there and the deg was too high. And normally when you put downforce onto a car, you help the tyre loading through a corner. So it's not sliding as much in the corner and that should help, if anything, your tyre degradation rather than hurt it. And they just seem like they're, you know, they just, they just didn't know. And even through the stints, they just weren't known. And I think Hamilton came out on his final stint on the soft tyre. Everyone has run the soft and medium tyres. Hamilton's coming out saying, why didn't we fit the hard? And they just seemed like nobody'd fitted that. You know, I think Goodersteiner earlier on the weekend had said nobody's touching the hard. It's just a travel tire. So for Hamilton to come out and say that in the race, frustrated with the car performance because he knows the degradation is so high, it's just an indication of how lost they appeared to be this weekend. And you know, is it a Brazil-specific thing? Is it a setup thing? We don't know. But hmm. very unusual for them to come out and be so different to where they've been in previous races. Mm. 
the 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 other thing I think you mentioned as well, um, Ferrari Blake earlier, and and like when you look at the constructor standings, like that battle for second is. It's not over. I mean, Mercedes is lead by, by 20 points ahead of Ferrari and 3-2 to 3-6-2. You have uh, McLaren then back on 2-8-2, Aston Martin 2-6-1. Um, but I mean, I mean, it just went wrong so quickly for Ferrari at the weekend. Per Charlotte Leclerc. Yeah, we, we had Leclerc. We had both the Alfa Romeos out with, I believe, those were power unit issues as well. So it was like, that's just not a good look. But to be fair, at the same time, it's not like Ferrari looked super strong like science middle stint on the medium wasn't bad at all he was hanging on to everybody else but he couldn't get past uh stroll mm. and that just drug him back so he had no chance of competing that and then on the final stint on the soft the science was very very weak as well so again it's and it's a little bit of a, a tired anecdote but the ferrari not not mercedes this weekend bad on tires but they couldn't make it work at all on the soft and they had no shot whatsoever. Even if Leclerc was in it, I'm not. We can never say. Maybe it was an off weekend for Carlos, but <laughs> that, that's one of those. That's one of those things that you you look at, like a team like Ferrari, like Mercedes, like Red Bull. These are the, these are the, the the biggest, best teams with the most resources, the best engineers, uh, and it's really, really troubling to understand where it's gone wrong. You know, because you have the the, the huge brain capacity, you have the huge resources, you have all the money in the world that you need that you can spend and um, spending several years through this, you know, ground effect floor car yeah. formula and unable to challenge for reliability, for performance, for tire management. It's, it's really frustrating. And I would love to see them up there with McLaren up there with Mercedes. And uh, if Aston Martin can get back to where they were at the start of the season, now that they've found some understanding, hopefully, we could have a really, really interesting last two years of this regulation set. And that's the thing as well, uh, like the power unit and the engine as well, Bernie, like presumably in, in you know, your, your team strategy meetings when you worked with Aston Martin, I guess the debrief to a race, some problems were, were less massive than others. A power unit problem or an engine problem is, I mean, it's pretty deep rooted. Yeah, any reliability issues, you know, I can say it is, you have to finish first, first you have to finish. And that is so true. Um, and b particularly because it's every little niggle and, you know, Mexico's hard on engines because of the altitude. It's hard on the car because of the altitude. Um, Brazil, equally so. Vegas, for a very different reason. Vegas is going to be really cold. So much cooler than we ever run these cars. And actually to keep the engine and everything hot enough and operating at the optimum temperature is going to be an equal challenge in the other direction mm. so going into a, an event like that a street event where you're running through the practice sessions is so important because the drivers need to learn you need to learn every lap will count next weekend or two weekends time so to be carrying any nigger with you is just a worry it's just a risk mm. that's got us in nicely to, to the las vegas build-up guys before <laughs> before we wrap up we have to touch on it because i mean it's 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 hard to know what to expect we've we have john watson on this uh, show regularly as well and, and you know he, he got a podium in I think it was the Caesars Palace car park in 1982 for the US Grand Prix uh, times have changed somewhat um, but I'll ask both of you but Blake what, what, are you, what are you expecting to see here like Bernie's mentioned that the temperatures will be a little cooler than that we would have expected um, I, but what do you hope to see or expect to see? Uh, what I would hope to see is one of the most thrilling races in a beautiful setting that we've seen this season but I think what will the build up to that will look like is absolute pure chaos you'll have 
engine struggling to meet minimum manifold temperatures so they're running properly you'll possibly have drivability issues as a result of that the next thing is it's a freshly laid bit of tarmac which notoriously has zero grip couple that with tires operating at four degrees five degrees celsius track temperature you know this is this is going to be a you're going to have a lot of people say you need to trust your instincts and let the track come to you because if you start throwing the the, the baby out with the bathwater with setup and everything else you're going to end up so lost so I, I do believe a lot of teams have a good understanding and feel for that um super low downforce as well lots of long straights a couple of low speed corners a couple of kinks that should be probably flat with a reasonable amount of grip everywhere so you're going to be looking at one of those kind of like Baku conundrums where you'd like to have downforce for the corners, but you've got a, what is it? A 1.8 kilometer flat out, 1.9 kilometer flat out section effectively, mm. which if you're running too much downforce on that, um, people will lose three tenths on you through the corners and then they'll fly past you on the straight and then you will be unable to overtake them through the twisty bits. So all those things, low downforce, also not great for getting your tires up to temperature. So I predict chaos. <laughs> Well, that's what we want to see in some ways, uh, organised chaos. Uh, what do you expect to see, Bernie Street Circuit? I mean, we're all looking forward to it, at least. As Blake says, at least the backdrop will be nice. Yeah, sure, the backdrop will be nice. I. It's a bit weird because, we, you know, we obviously went to Baku a few years ago. People predicted chaos, Street Circuit. People predicted lots of safety cars. We sat in every engineering meeting saying, do not crash. This is going to be full safety car chaos. And there wasn't a single safety car. Um so let's, we just don't know. There's, I think someone said no support events. So there's nothing else to help grip up the track. There's none of the junior series there. It's just F1. Blake's going to quick check that quickly, as I said, hopefully. <laughs> I'm surprised. Um, I'm surprised. But yeah, that wouldn't surprise me at all, considering the nature said, of the event. Yeah, someone said there's no support. So you've got, you know, we look a lot, you know, people maybe not realize this. We look a lot at support events for how their starting grid has been, you know, what line people have taken through certain corners. You learn a lot from the junior series. Um, and my biggest worry is the tyre temperatures. Mm. This is going to be colder than winter testing. We have never operated these tyres on these cars in these conditions. So it is going to be a big unknown for teams. Can they get enough heat in those tyres to get the grip out of them? And then can they hold on to it? So if you get a safety car or a virtual safety car and you have to do a slow lap, the tyres are really going to drop off. So I think you're almost going to be forced to pit in those situations. So it it's going to be a steep learning curve for everyone out there. Um, yeah, I'm glad I'm not on the pit wall, <laughs> but it's going to be a big challenge. Yeah, 100%. To finish, guys, and this is the beautiful part. The beautiful part of this predictions <laughs> segment, Blake, is that we, we we ask guests to predict the, the the exact order of the podium. And if you get it right, we clip it up afterwards. We say, "Look at this person; they're unbelievable at predicting things." And if you get it wrong, we just leave it there and we never talk about it ever again. So, it's it's just basically yeah. no. There's no risk involved here. I, I'm gonna I'll kick it off. I'm gonna go for a Lando Norris win. I'm just gonna throw it all out there. I'm just gonna throw it all out there. And Lando Norris in Las Vegas is gonna get his first win. It's just it's where it's where crazy things happen. Um, I'm going to go for Lando first. I mean, if I'm saying Lando first, Max is probably not going to finish or crash out or something, but I'll say Max second and I'll say Alonso third. Um, Strong. We'll give we'll give it Bernie, to Bernie next because Bernie probably had a half an inkling this might, have come, might come up. Um, so I'm going to, just to be different to you, I'm actually going to say Piastri. Ooh. And my reason is, one, to be different to you, but also we know McLaren have been strong on tyre temps when mm. there's been any sort of warm-up issues. So I think there's potential that they can get 
that right here. Um, so I'm going to say Piastri, then I'm going to say Alonso, and then Norris. Verstappen's gone for some reason. Chaos merchant. Yeah. Well, you predicted chaos, Blake. So what sort of uh, result are we going to see? I mean, if we're talking about people that are good at getting their tires up to temperature and maybe too hot, I think Haas would definitely have a good shot at this because for whatever reason, they tend to qualify well and then absolutely rip through tires during the race. But I I don't think they'll be able to put the whole package together. I'm going to go. I think Max will do this one, honestly. But I think that for this type of circuit, I think Leclerc should also go quite well. Um, and then I, th- I think Checo will, will finish off the podium. I'm going pretty safe. The last time I made a prediction, I never make predictions. I hate doing it. I, I, I shouldn't have said in- yes that I would do it. The last time I did it, I predicted the top five of a race this season. So, um, And you got it right. Yeah. Whoa. Exactly. You it's, said you hate but, doing them. You should love it. No, no. I, I, I got I, I save it for special occasions. So. <laughs> I've obliged in this one. Absolutely, yeah, of course. Well, we appreciate that. And Las Vegas is a special occasion as well. Guys, we'll, we'll check in again soon. Thanks a million, Bernie and Blake, for hopping on today. Thank Thanks you. So much. Brilliant stuff, that is. Bernie Collins, the former head of race strategy for the Aston Martin Formula One team. And Blake Hinsey, former F1 performance engineer and co-host of the Engine Breaking podcast as well. We'll be back with the F1 pod here and Off the Ball in the Off the Ball daily podcast feed and the F1 pod podcast feed after the Las Vegas Grand Prix to reflect on it all. See you then. Good luck. The F1 Pod on Off The Ball with Chicago Town Pizza. Formula One? Yeah, we go to town on it.